we are doing this short kind of sermon series about come, let us adore him is, is the theme. Um, and that is something that, that Leslie and I decided like several months ago. And I thought, you know, that's going to be a cool, I like how it sounds. It's a cool challenge. And then what's interesting about like a good challenge in September is that in December, it's just a regular challenge. <laughs> it's not an intriguing, interesting one. Like, oh, that'll be good for me. It's like, oh, this is hard, but now it's here. So anyway, we'll see how this goes. Um, em and I were, were joking yesterday because there's one of the houses in our neighborhood. They every year put um, letters in their yard that say, Jesus is the reason for the season, and they have lights on them or whatever. And so we were joking last night about like, what if I, with all seriousness, started the sermon in talking about like, hey, I saw my neighbor's yard sign, and it said Jesus is the reason for the season. And it just got me thinking like, guys, maybe, maybe presents aren't the reason. Maybe gifts, maybe there's something more. And kind of just did the whole very classic, stereotypical like, like, I just dawned on me that maybe this is the case. And just see how long you guys would like humor me and be like, wow, I mean, good for him if he's realizing it now. It's a little alarming that someone who's on staff at the church maybe is just now realizing what the reason for Christmas is. But anyway, um, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to mention it as if I did. So, um, but we've been, so we're doing Come Let Us Adore Him. And I think something that is nearly, I mean, it's the obvious kind of hinging point of that phrase is the word adore. Uh, it's a deep word. It is not a light one. Um, and I, I think there's just a level of intentionality, a, ten, a level of really loving and affection for Jesus that comes with that word. And now it's obvious, but I think it's just, it's a word that because I've been mulling it over, I've just realized that there's just this difference between acknowledge, you know, acknowledge Jesus and adore him. And, um, and so that's one of the, the, uh, the things that we've been thinking about wanted to really point to and and loosely make the, these couple of weeks about Christmas um, relate to and string together with come, let us adore him. So I've noticed that over, um, over the past few years, I've had just kind of a general lack of enthusiasm about Christmas. Not like a hatred, not like full-on Grinch at the beginning of the story, you know. Uh, just a lack of enthusiasm, not strong negativity, not a Scrooge, like that. But I think the simplest explanation is just that it seems like it's been since some of the relationships in my family have gotten just messier, you know, harder to kind of think through um, and strained a little bit. And it just kind of messes with some of the memories I used to cherish um, because I wish things in my family were that way again. Um, I think we can all relate to something like that. I wish things in my family were the way they were in the past. And so before I really get a chance to get excited about the season and the real reasons for it um, and focusing on Jesus, I get sad at least a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense to you guys? I think it's sad that something sad in my family could also cast a shadow on the excitement and the adoration that I can have and express for Jesus. No one's family is perfect at all. I know many of you have your own family stuff you have to sort through this time of year or all times of the year. Um, and I also know a lot of you who don't maybe have a significant amount of that, and it's not a huge barrier for you. Um, and, and so there's people on different sides of that. But one of the steps I think that has been helpful for me is just an honesty with myself, sort of a starting point, wanting to acknowledge my lack of enthusiasm without giving it much legitimacy, you know what I'm saying? Um, without allowing it to be a valid obstacle to my adoration of Jesus. So it's real, it's clearly having an effect on me, you know, it's, um, I'm missing out on something if I don't try to work through it, but it's a, it's, it, but 
that it's a worthwhile obstacle to successfully hinder my adoration of Jesus is something I want to like say no to, you know. Um, and so I just that's kind of what one of the things I couldn't help but think I gotta write this and at least kind of think through it myself before I try to talk about uh, adoring Jesus. I think it's a helpful starting place for me. It's directly in the vein of what we've practiced in our small groups a few weeks ago to just kind of have honest talk with God, honestly talk about where we're at with him, not to come to him feeling like we've got to have some stuff figured out and then come very reverent with the right words and stuff. Um, I think there's something very um, beneficial to praying to God about our emotions, talking honestly with him about where we're at and saying, God, if I'm honest, I'm not really in a place I want to be on this, on Christmas time. I'm unenthusiastic. I'm a little sad. I'm stressed out. I'm having trouble focusing on celebrating your birth, sorting through my thoughts on this just kind of seems exhausting, not something I'm, like, excited to do. But I also know I'm not really satisfied just kind of going on autopilot through the Christmas season. And when I let myself think about it, I know I can adore Jesus, and I want to adore Jesus. I know I can, and I want to. And God, I just need your help. I just need your help sorting through my feelings, uh, removing barriers to adoration, helping me not be numb, numb to this season. So just help me. And that's what honest talk with God looks like. It's like talking to a human, you know? sharing where you're at, what you feel like. Um, and I, I love the way that Leslie talked last week about familiarity. Um, familiarity can lend itself to um, being numb to stuff. And um, I've referenced a similar feeling to you guys, just in a general sense about working through my relationship with God over the years and the way we can kind of lose connection to the reason we're doing something in our relationship with God, but perhaps retain a habit. So we're kind of doing it just in, with some numbness. And that's something I think we're all fighting against constantly, but I think my age group has a particular problem with this. We grew up watching SpongeBob and Cat Dog and Courage the Cowardly Dog and Ed, Ed, and Eddie, and it, it really messed us up. <laughs> I mean, we're realizing that now that the scientists are doing studies and they're realizing that that's it. That's what it was. Uh, so it explains a lot. But anyway, um, so if you relate to it, even if you didn't watch those shows, then you know, yeah, you know where I'm coming from. But as I've been talking with God the past couple weeks and thinking through adoring Jesus, one simple thing was kind of able to pierce through my, like, little bit of numbness, pierce through my unenthusiasm, and that was the word, the idea of longing. Longing. Longing is not just waiting. It's longing, and it's a deep desire, waiting with eagerness. We don't know what it's like to wait and wonder for the Messiah to come the first time, right? We can read about that, and we can imagine what it's like, but we didn't have to do exactly that, so that would have been probably pretty interesting, but we know what it's like to wait for his return, don't we? Yeah. We can certainly empathize um, with, with Israel waiting for Jesus to come in the first place, but do we long for it? Do we long for Jesus' return? Right. Would that word really describe how we feel? Um, I was thinking about longing, and one of the memories I have when I was in like between third and fourth grade, I went on a long trip with my dad to Bolivia. That's where he's from. Long story. But, um, and I think it was quite easily the first time I'd been away from my mom for like two weeks straight like in my life. And I remember the longer that we were on this trip, and it was a good trip, and I had a lot of fun. It was a good experience. The longing I had to just be with my mom again was so strong. And I remember like, you know, you, when you start to be like fourth grade, third, fourth grade, you start to think of yourself as a little bit something, a little bit tough if you're a big kid or whatever. But I remember we got back to the airport, or we got, yeah, we landed, got through the gate and all that stuff, got through customs, coming back to the U.S., and seeing my mom like through the glass of the, the door or whatever and having to find the place, like the actual revolving door to get through there, 
and just like crying, you know, as a fourth grader, you kind of start to be a little bit embarrassed about crying, and you kind of be a little more, but I didn't care. And I just, that's one of my earliest memories I can think of that really has connected with the word longing, this desire to be with my mom again, and there being this, this level of like, I've been apart from her longer than I've, than I've ever been. Um, and so, do we feel that way about Jesus? Do we really like long to be with Jesus again? Do we long to be with him in this perfect unity, no barriers, no shrouds, you know, no guessing? Do we long for that? So I kind of tried to break down longing into um, some categories that for me I thought might be helpful, and, and if not for you, then that's totally okay. But the first one is just that longing for Jesus means submission. Longing for Jesus means submission. Um, I think most of us sitting where we are right now, we have some idea of where or how we want our individual lives to look, um, even as we follow Jesus, how we want our community and city to look how we want our world to look when we look out at the world. We have ideals in our mind. Um, And if you don't, then that's actually not a totally bad thing, but I think most of us do. It's reasonable to think that compared to what Jesus wants to do and will do when he returns, our ideas are probably partially correct (laughs) and partially incorrect, meaning we're probably wrong about some or maybe like a ton of things about the way the world should be, about the way creation should be restored. That's not a crazy idea, right? Remote, both, all of us, we kind of acknowledge that we don't know everything and that Jesus knows more than us. Yeah. Um, so when Jesus returns, he, he will truly be Lord over creation. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to praise him. And if we're honest, do we actually want that? Do we really long for it? Or if we're being honest with ourselves, are we kind of okay being the Lord of our lives right now? Are we kind of okay being the one who's Lord of what um, what we think the world should look like, how we want to decide how to live our lives. Do we really want to be Lord? Do we prefer it that way? Jesus' return is going to challenge our expectations. Um, that's like a certainty, pretty much. Um, he says things like, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. But he also says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He says things like, take up your cross daily and follow me. And then he also says, come to me if you're weary and I'll give you rest. Um, those are things that Jesus said that we have to hold in balance and intention and, and are hard to, to know what that perfect balance is. There's a lot there that Jesus said that challenges us and I think um, we'll continue to and when he returns it, I think we're going to be surprised about stuff. I think we're going to be challenged. Yeah. Um, there's a, this moment that um, is so interesting in Matthew um, in Matthew 16. I'll just read it real quick, but From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed, be raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord, that will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Simon thought he was right. And he thought he knew. I mean, he was so confident. <laughs> it's kind of funny. He thought he was confident enough to go correct and rebuke Jesus. Like, surely not, Jesus. Uh, and it's funny because this story comes right after um, they, they were talking, and Simon says, you know, he, he claims and, and says, no, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. And Jesus, like, affirms that and says, like, the Spirit revealed that to you. And, like, basically, Simon just had a win, you know, right before this moment. And then he's so high on his own stuff. His ego is through the roof that he thinks the next moment 
I'll rebuke Jesus and tell Jesus what, what he's going to do, what's right, what's going to happen. Uh, we can't assume that we're any different, okay? That we can be right in one breath and wrong in the next. Yeah. We can slip right into thinking the way we want to think, right back into human wisdom and thinking that way, uh, even just after we've thought in God's way, even just after we've submitted to him yeah. the previous thought. So here's some, some things that kind of address that in Scripture. It's just that God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. His ways are higher than our ways. Um, in Romans, Paul says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. In 1 Peter, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour, Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Um, that's the, what's at play here. We're constantly going to be in this battle of thinking our own way, thinking that the way we want to think, the things we want to do is better than God's way. We'll have to recurringly remind ourselves to submit to God's ways, to humble ourselves before him, to cast all our cares on him, to be sober-minded and alert. James says something super similar to that First Peter passage, but a lot more succinct. But I think the basic stuff, this is like, I know this is basic. This is the kind of stuff that's like, we know it. We know this kind of stuff. Being reminded about it doesn't always necessarily help it, you know, cement in our, ma- our brains a little bit better. But I think longing for Jesus means that submitting. That's a great starting point. If we're really trying to get there, and if you don't feel like that phrase, uh, longing for Jesus' return, is true for you, I think... Starting with submission is a great one. It means letting go of our own preferences, the things we're holding really tightly to. Letting go of the utopia that we want to create, um, the new heaven and earth that we would make if it was up to us. Turn that job over to the one who can actually do it right. He can do it really well. He can do it way better than us. Um, I was thinking about just like something I could relate to in my life about this scenario. And when I worked for um, the humanitarian ministry I worked for years ago, they, I had recruited a guy um, who I'd then worked with for a couple of years, and then when I was leaving, I was handing a lot of things over to him. And I remember this, this feeling that slowly dawned on me that this is his thing to worry about now. It's his thing to take care of now. I, can, it's, I need to let go of these things. I'm, I'm leaving it either way. And there was just this peace that kind of came with that. What, what if we leave the things that God's the better person to do, the one to restore creation, the one to really be the, the um, decider of that, the planner of that, the executor of that? Uh, isn't it a relief to let him do it, right, and not us? We want to hold on to it thinking, I think not really thinking it through, that we could do a better job, but it should be a relief to us to be like, oh, yeah, God, you're going to be the one to do this. Like, let me just submit to your plan. That's one such story where I just felt like that feeling related to me. Um, but I think one of the things that, that I, I kind of wrote down was just like, why, why can I long for Jesus in submission right now? And I think in moments of real clarity and reflection, I can say, I really do want to submit to Jesus' way. I really do want to let go of my version of the plan. I'm no creator. I'm no savior. I'm no redeemer. I don't know exactly what's right. I don't know the answer to each question or even the vast majority of questions. I don't know how to heal others. I don't know how to mend the brokenness of creation. I don't, I don't want to do it. I want Jesus to do it. 
I long for Jesus to do it. I long for him to return as soon as possible. No conditions, no preferences on that. That's in moments of real clarity, thinking through it, letting myself actually consider it. Um, it's easy to say that I really do long for Jesus to be the one that does that. So longing for Jesus means submission. The next um, kind of category of this is longing for Jesus means envisioning his return. It means envisioning his return, thinking about what it's going to look like. Letting Jesus, letting scripture paint a picture of what it looks like for him to return. Paint a picture of what it looks like when creation is restored. Trying to find a way to keep it in front of our minds often, I think, is super important. Um, we're, I think if we don't do that, we run the risk of just being kind of content in the here and now, being content in what things are like right now, not thinking about um, what Jesus is going to do and what he's going to bring. If we're not longing for that new creation, Contentment can be a good thing in a trusting God sense, trusting that timing and what he's going to do is going to happen and being content with and being patient. But I think you can see the distinction I'm trying to make. If we don't think about it at all, are we really just okay with this? Are we okay with the way the world is now? Are we okay with um, this version of creation right now? Lots of verses in the Bible really do paint pictures of what eternity is going to look like. Um, I just thought of a few that I pulled, but... Um, in Isaiah 11, it says, "There's then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge, fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will execute justice by what he hears with his ears. He will, he will judge the poor righteously, execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter, from his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips, faithfulness a belt around his waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, the young lion, the fatted calf will be together. A child will lead them, the cow and the bear will graze, their young ones will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like cattle, an infant will play beside the cobra's pit, a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain. For the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look for him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious. It's going to be super different. It's like the, some of those images there are kind of startling a little bit, like babies and cobras playing. Um, but the way the world's going to work when we envision this new creation, this restored creation, is going to be super different. It's not going to be like what we're used to. The lack of peace, the at each other's throats all the time, the things harming things all the time, um, as simple as it is illustrated in animals, but all the way to just uh, humans interacting together as well. In Isaiah 25, it says, On this mountain will swallow up the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. When he swallowed up death once and for all, the Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face, remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth, for the Lord has spoken. On that day it will be said, look, this is our God. We have waited for him. He saved us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. Let's rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Envisioning this kind of stuff is helpful. You know, every tear wiped away, death conquered, um, people's disgrace removed from the earth. This is what the new creation will be like. We've read this a bunch of times, but it's worth reading again. In Revelation 7, 
It's described like this. After, I, after this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, along with the elders and the four living creatures. They fell face down before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And later in Revelation 21, it says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out in heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity. He will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. So that's just a few scriptural references of this idea, what the new creation is going to look like. Um, it's pretty appealing, isn't it? It's hard to read that and not think, yeah, I want that. I want every tear wiped away. It's hard not to think that we want anything different. Um, and that's just a couple options, I mean, there, but there's so much you can see uh, in Scripture to kind of lead us. And I think thinking about that frequently, thinking about that often can make us excited for it. Not impatient, but excited and make us long for it, help us long for it. It's a really exciting thing, and I know... I want more details than we're given, but, um, but I think thinking about those that we already have is super exciting. I think there's a lot of ways to approach trying to envision this in our daily lives, trying to translate it into context we can understand without getting so specific that we end up creating our own wish list of desires for new creation and messing up the first point, which is it comes through submission. So I think one option we can do is to sort of just ask questions in this direction, sort of personal, local, and global. Uh, personal, what things are broken in me that I long to be healed? That can help me envision um, God's return, Jesus' return, new creation. What barriers are there between me and God? What parts in me uh, desires to be the Lord of my own life rather than letting Jesus be Lord? What will it look like for me to personally dwell with God without any barriers, without anything between us? What will that look like? Yeah. What things are broken in me that I long to be healed? What barriers are there between me and God? What parts in me desire to be the Lord of my own life rather than letting Jesus be Lord? And what will it look like for me to personally dwell with God without any barriers? Unfortunately, I have several questions on each of those things, so... Um, it might be hard to write them all, but I can always send them to you later or post them. Hey, yeah, I'll post those. Uh, on the local level, I think we can ask questions like, how are relationships between us and others fractured? Uh, between different people, different groups of people, how are they fractured? What provisions and needs are unmet in our local community, in our local area that we can see with our eyes? What damages and hurts exist? What barriers currently exist between our city, our area, and unity with God? And what will it look like for God to dwell, if God were to dwell in our city as it is now? What would it look like if he was to dwell right here with no barriers? 
on the global level. I think, what's it, what is deeply unwell in our world? What fuels violence and hatred and suffering? In what ways is our world resisting God's rule, resisting God's dominion? What will it look like for God to dwell in our world without any barriers, to dwell with all of us individually, locally, globally? What will that look like? These are the third sorts of things I think that well, those things will be healed. Those things will be resolved. They'll be set right by the only one who can even do it, the only one who's just and who's true. They're tough questions to really think through and answer, and I think it's, it's hard to get specifics out of them, but I think uh, that's why I'm kind of preaching about some of the easy part and then just leaving the questions for y'all to think about later um, so that I don't have to do that. But, um, <laughs> but I just think it's, I think it's worth trying to do, or it's worth trying to envision what this new creation will look like. Um, to make it just a little bit more relatable, uh, I remember back to the job I had before, I'd go on these trips and I'd be away from, from you guys, away from Denton for like two weeks at a time. And I just kind of remember the longing I would, I would feel. Um, I, for, for one, I longed you know, to be back with my wife. I missed her. I missed you guys. I missed our church. I missed friendships. I missed community. I missed our town. And the longer you're away, um, the more that longing grows. And um, I think that's not a bad way to think about um, the new creation and envision it. You know, it's like, it's like going home. You know, it's hard for us to imagine a home we haven't been to, but this really will be our true home. It's the way God really wants the world to work, really wants creation to work and wanted to in the beginning. Uh, it can be like that longing we experience to be home, to be with our community, to be where, where we are known, to where we feel like we belong. That's what it can be like. So if that helps you um, to kind of reframe your thinking, something like that, you can have your own story there. But um, that's what came to mind for me. The last point I have on this is that longing for Jesus means preparing. Longing for Jesus means preparing. There's something we are doing. There's something we're needing to do. Um, this is an idea that's quite frequent in Scripture, this idea of preparing for Jesus' return. Um, it shouldn't surprise us. In Mark 13, it says like this, Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch and be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one of them work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster in the early morning. Otherwise, when he comes, suddenly he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Um, there's an, this, that's a little bit easier to understand. And then there's this story he also tells in Matthew 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be taken, will be like ten virgins, virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take the oil with them. But the wise ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. When the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout. Here's the groom. Come out to meet him. And all the virgins got up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going to go out. The wise ones answered, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go and said to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. When they'd gone to buy some, the groom arrived. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. The door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. He replied, Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. 
Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. Jesus, this is tough, okay? And we, this would probably be its own multiple sermons. But Jesus is trying to get through to us that there's something very important here. We cannot let ourselves get too comfortable. We cannot let ourselves fall asleep. We have to be alert. We have to prepare and live in such a way that is in very um, concentrated knowledge that he's returning, and it could be any moment. How would we live differently if we thought like that? Um, what would it look like? I think it'd be pretty different for all of us. I don't think any of us would be like, no, it'd be the same for me. Um, so I'm not saying anything that should challenge you that isn't also challenging me. Um, it's, a, it's a complicated thing, but that's, I think, the main point. Jesus really wants us to, to think about it that way. Yeah. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not also be disqualified. We're, we're running toward a goal. There's something definite. Um, Jesus is returning, and there, we have to have a goal in mind or we are aimless like that. Does that make sense? In Ephesians, he says this, Be careful, uh, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of time because the days are evil. Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God. Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of fear of Christ. That one's helpful, I think, because it kind of tells us what it should look like, what we should be doing while we're preparing. The other ones kind of prove the point that we should prepare. I love how Ryan's kind of barely peeking out from behind this pillar. Well, we won't put a chair there next time, don't worry. Or maybe I'll do this, but then he can't see me either. So anyway, we'll take those away. But Ryan has this look that's kind of like this. It's just kind of like, Yeah. He's longing, but also kind of looks like this, like peeking, like, I see you. I see you too, Ryan. Um, so that helps us kind of know what it should look like while we're preparing. What does it look like to be living in this way, to live wisely, to pay very careful attention to how we walk? It could be tomorrow. It could be years from now. Pay careful attention to how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of our time. So again, this is a tough idea to touch on quickly. Um, but I think it's clear it's important to Scripture. And when we're thinking about this season of, of the year and trying to make ourselves think about not only Jesus' original um, arrival as a baby and his life on earth and his sacrifice for us, but also his return, I think it's important to be reminded. We have to be alert. Something we need to think about. At the same time, here's the thing, is that nothing we do in this life earns us salvation, right? That's the thing we get out of balance a lot. Be alert, live our lives carefully, but nothing earns us salvation. We don't do it because we're good. We don't get something because we've achieved it ourselves. When God rules and brings justice, that would apply to us too. When God rules and brings justice, if not for Jesus, it would be right and just for God to rule against us. We have sinned. I have sinned. We have hated others. We have hated hatred in our heart. I have too. We've wanted to go our own way time and time again. The only reason we can have peace in that time and be excited and long for that to happen is because we have Jesus' sacrifice. He sacrificed for us on the cross. 
we can have peace and be excited and long for God's justice. We, have, we can have peace and long for new creation. Um, I think one of the things that, that we can relate to on this is just, I remember the first year after Em and I got married, something happened where it made the most sense to um, have Christmas with my family at our little rental house. And I just remember feeling very excited about that. It was like, oh, I'm hosting a thing at my house. I'm doing a thing here. And it's probably the most prep Em and I have ever put into that. I think we've kind of just gradually done less and less each time. Um, but I just remember this excitement. I was not only thinking about and envisioning what it was going to be like with my family. They're going to come spend time with us together in our house. I was preparing. There was something happening. I was preparing. I was excited about it, longing about it. Not worried about it, excited about it. I wanted to prepare for them to come. Um, I think we can kind of all fill in those, those different example gaps of, of ways that we've longed for something real in this life. We can, we can try our best to get into that same headspace when we think about Jesus. So just to close, um, longing, think about how you can focus on longing for Jesus' return. Chew on that idea. I don't know if that wording, that verbiage kind of jumps out to you like it did to me, but break it into pieces the way I did in this if it's helpful. Um, But the longing for Jesus, it means submission. It means envisioning his return, trying to keep that in the front of our minds. It means preparing for it to come. That means preparing for his kingdom to come. I realize that kind of as this sermon has gone on, it probably has felt less and less like a Christmassy one, you know? It's not quite like, you know, there's not a lot of Rudolph references and whatever else. Um, and maybe that's a bummer, or maybe you like that. But there's, but I kind of want to circle back because uh, there's a song that helped me think about this idea, helped me think about just this idea of longing. And once it got in there, it really kind of pierced through some of the, like, emotions I was talking about at the beginning, some of the numbness. I kept mulling it over, and I couldn't get that idea out of my head. So I'm going to sing that song for you guys now. Just kidding. Um, Oh, my gosh. We're going to play it. John's going to play it. But um, sorry, guys. I'm going to have to get, like, there's going to need a lot of things that happen before I just surprise you guys with singing a song like that, okay? For your sake and mine. Uh, I'm going to say a short prayer, and then John's going to play the song, and um, he's going to have the lyrics up there so we can be thinking about them as it plays. But, oh, Lord, um, thank you for just the gift of your son and um, the promises fulfilled, the promises um, on their way to being fulfilled. Um, Lord, help us to be people who really recognize and submit to your, your version of creation is coming. It's exciting, something we can long and really be excited about. Help us to envision it in a way that feels real. Help us to envision it in a way that doesn't feel so distant and removed from our everyday life, but it feels like something we can really be excited about, like something that's just around the corner. Lord, help us to prepare as well. Prepare in our hearts the way that you you want to and need to, the things you're trying to work through in us. Um, Help us to to really do that work. Help us each day uh, to be people who are preparing for your kingdom coming who are preparing for, um, for the rest- restoration of your kingdom. Help us to really invite that. It's going to be different than what we think. It's going to challenge us. Help us just to be uh, really trusting of you, knowing that your way is best. Um, God, you're so good to us. Thank you for, for just the kind of God that you are. Um, I want to think about you wanting to dwell with us. And I think about... Um, trying to relate to the emotions of 
uh, being a kid and missing my mom and, and just thinking, it's going to be so great to be with you. Um, it's going to be so great to have no barriers. Uh, help us be fueled by that excitement. Help us to be really, to not lose sight of that. Um, you're so good to us. Thanks for all that you do. Help us in this season. Um, help us get the most out of it in terms of uh, just connecting with you, being excited about what you're doing. Um, anyway, I pray. Amen. Some announcements this morning. Um, I wanted to start by telling you something that happened at the MLK yesterday when we were doing breakfast with the Grinch and Santa. Um, this little tiny girl, her daddy was holding her, and she had this big stuffed Grinch, and she had it around the neck and was holding it really close. And so I said, Hey, did you bring your Grinch with you today? And she hugs it up tighter and smiles, and her dad goes, that's her best friend. <laughs> and so I said, is that your best friend? And she goes, and just rubs him up by her face. It was the cutest thing ever, but it gave me a way different perspective on the Grinch. I had never thought about him being warm and cuddly. Um, but see, these are the things you're missing out on if you don't come to the MLK events that we have. So next Sunday... We're going to do another breakfast together. So we're going to have round tables set up. And when you come in, please try and sit with people you normally wouldn't sit with um, so that we can get to know people that we don't know as well. Parents, especially for uh, that first part, like when we're eating breakfast and stuff, if you want to keep your kids in here for that and let them join in on that, we would love for them to join us on that. So what we need you to bring next week is a breakfast food item to share. And uh, Josh got a little carried away with the number of um, examples that he gave for you. <laughs> but pick any of those, donuts, orange juice, bagels, pigs in a blanket, on and on and on. So something yummy that we can all eat together. And then the second thing is to bring something to donate to our daily bread. And we have a list of things that they're asking for as they open their new facility tomorrow. So we'll be donating those as a group. And then just a reminder that the Greater Denton Arts Council will be closed on Sunday the 25th, which is Christmas Day, and on Sunday the 1st, which is New Year's Day. And so we want to encourage you guys to either get together in groups at your home to go visit one of the other family churches in our family of churches or to visit another church here in Denton or go with your family that maybe you normally don't get to go with. Um, but don't just take that as an excuse to take a two-week break. Um, do something that is meaningful with that time. Also, keep an eye and ear out for people that maybe don't have anywhere to go for Christmas and make sure that you touch base with them to see um, if they need a place to go, want a place to go, that you're just touching base with them so that they have some contact with other people. But both Josh's phone number and my phone number are in the newsletter. And if you are somebody that's going to be by yourself for the holidays, please shoot us a text or give us a phone call, and we can connect you with people that are going to be here that you can uh, get some time with and spend holidays with. 
things to add to your calendar. Make sure that you look at that every week and add things to your calendar. And the next one that's coming up is going to be the men's breakfast on January 7th. So guys, make sure that you put that in your calendar. Ladies will also be having a breakfast in January. So you'll want to be looking on here for that date because it'll be in here next week so that you can add that to your calendar. And then we're going to be starting another um, study and discussion group on same-sex attraction. And this time around, we're going to focus on the side B perspective. And for those of you that are like me and you go, what does that even mean? Um, when we went to uh, a conference together this summer, there was a group of Asian people there and they called themselves side B Christians. Only I didn't understand what they were, no, I'm sorry, side B Asians was what they called themselves. And so I was like, side B Asians, like, is that some kind of group I've never heard of? And so then I was like thinking, okay, no, they didn't say side B, like, what did they say? And so I'm thinking of all these different possibilities. I finally get up and leave the room and go out in the hall so that I can use my phone to Google. And I start Googling things until I find something that actually makes sense. And I was like, oh, side B. <laughs> and then I was like, what is that? <laughs> that did not help me at all. So, so that you know what that is, I have a little description for you so it'll make more sense to you. All that means is that most of the sources that we're going to use in this study and discussion group are from Christians who are gay but also celibate or gay and are in an opposite sex marriage. And they are the ones that have studied scripture, have come up with this as their way of remaining true to scripture and uh, being able to live within obedience to Christ. And so since most people have not heard about side B and most people, uh, and this is really important to the conversation, we wanted to have time to study through that and to talk about that. So we think that'll be valuable and we wanted to create space for that. So that's what we're doing with this discussion group. It's gonna start in January. Um, so we just wanted to let you know so you could be thinking about that and praying about that. And then the last thing is our giving. Um, we have the opportunity every week to give on Venmo and to give on Tithely. Um, and so that is what takes care of our expenses. That's what allows us to do the things in the community that we do and in our church that we do. Um, and so please uh, make sure that you're giving. And also, if you have any questions about the same-sex attraction discussion group, please ask. Um, we would be happy to talk with you about that. So let's pray, and we'll be dismissed for today. Yes. Oh, no, I didn't even see that. Sorry. Okay, that's okay. Mm-hmm.
Yeah. Also, one of the other things um, that they were thinking about, uh, Sean and Manny, whenever they planned this, is just that it's going to be a long break during the holidays, and this would be a way for us to stay in touch with someone in our community uh, during the holidays. So please sign up for that if you're going to be around and available to meet up with people. Anything else? Okay. Uh, God, we just pray that as we go out and go about our week, that we would look for opportunities that you've put in front of us um, to bless people's lives and to uh, love them like you love them and serve them like you serve them and point them to you. Um, I just pray that we'll take advantage of uh, the time that we have to really um, focus on Jesus in a way that is um, open this time of year more so than it is at other times. And just pray, God, that we'll honor and glorify you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.